Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm Mike Siegel, your host. Uh, a lot of firsts on this show, the first musician we've had on the show, and also our first two-parter. Um, Ted Russell Camp uh, was the guest, and he's a, he's a great guy, and he was nice enough to stick around, and we just kept talking, so I figure I got enough there to make a couple episodes out of it, and also a chance to uh, work in a little bit of his music, because we're going to be talking about his music, and I thought it'd be good for you to hear some little clips of it, and if you like what you hear, you can go to his website at tedrusselcamp.com. That's Camp, K-A-M-P with a K, not uh, a C. Ted Russell Camp is our guest, and uh, while you're on the internet, why not go to iTunes, which I'm sure Ted is on. Um, we're on iTunes as well, and if you want to help out the show, you can give us a good rating. doesn't cost you nothing. Uh, helps people find the show, helps us move up and boost our presence, and uh, that would be great if you can do that. Also, uh, if you want to write me, my address is mike at traveltalespodcast.com. The website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Twitter? Twitter at uh, TravelTalesPod. Uh, let's get right down to it. Ted Russell Camp. Here's a little bit of his music. And here's our discussion. Enjoy. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm talking to Ted Russell Camp. How are you? Hi. The first musician we've had here. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to uh, set the tone. Hopefully you'll have more of us. Oh, this is awesome. Because <laughs> No, I'm really excited about this because usually, I mean, I have comics on here because most of my friends are, are comics and I have like mm. regular people and producers and people like that. But uh, it's great because if anybody has like more travel stories than comics on the road, it's got to be musicians. Yes. Right. And you just came back from uh, Europe? Uh, yeah, I was actually in Europe in May for three weeks. It was wonderful. Finland, wow. Holland, Germany, Belgium, France. Okay. So for people who don't know you, and I just I heard a little bit of your music uh, today. Okay. I was listening to it. And it's kind of like, I guess you could describe it like an alt-country yeah, kind of thing. you could say thing. alt-country. You could say Americana. There's definitely a singer-songwriter side to it. But I love, you know, like the band, and you're wearing a Levon Helm shirt yes. today, actually. But I love Bob Dylan and the band. I love J.J. Cale, uh, Leon Russell of Chris Christopherson. A lot of a lot of my influences are from the '60s and '70s. Right. And so there's an organic thing that I do. I mean, definitely I love Tom Petty and Sheryl Crow and 
Foo Fighters and a lot of more modern stuff. But there's a there's a classic. Uh, without going into freedom rock, there's a classic rock and rollness <laughs> yeah. to what I do. Yeah, I was wearing my Levon Helm uh, shirt in your honor because I was up in the. Uh, you up in Woodstock at his house is in Woodstock. That's where this shirt uh, is from. Did you go to a? I ramble? went to Midnight Ramble, and the guy that opened for him, you remind me a lot of. Can you guess who I'm saying? Texas. Uh, Rodney Crowell? Steve Earle. Steve Earle? Oh, Steve Earle. Anybody Great. ever tell you? Your voices are kind of similar. Um, a little bit. A little yeah, bit. Yeah. I don't twang as much as Steve <laughs> yeah. Earle. But he's, he's more authentically from the South than I am. Yeah. It was a magic uh, night. I mean, it was like, uh, did you ever get to go to one of these rambles? I've never been to a ramble. I've had numerous friends who've oh. played them and also just been in the audience. It was one of the coolest. Uh, yeah, it's supposed like, to be an incredible spiritual. Yeah. Rest in peace, uh, Levon. But I remember when he died, it made us think about that because uh, I went up there. It was about two years ago, and he had still, you know, it was, it, he had a lot of health problems. You know, his yeah. throat. I think he had throat cancer. I think it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, two hundred people in this barn, yeah, outside his house in Woodstock, and just crammed in there. Steve Earle opening up, and uh, it was great. And it's always like those when I look back on the best concert experiences of my life it's That's never wild. usually the big ones you know it seems There's to be always yeah you know and and one of the, one of the things that why the ramble has been so popular and inspiring for so many people who haven't been able to go is that it's homey levon helm basically set it up the way he wanted to and basically invites people over yeah and there's a jam quality of course there's world-class music <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's a it's a real special and deep thing. I, I've seen Lee Von Helm play a few times, and I saw him at the Ryman. It was Ramble at the Ryman. Oh, is what fun. It was called in Nashville. Uh, so, yeah, there's, and there's, there's something deep and very soulful about him and kind of everything he touched. And you're from upstate New York yourself? Yeah, I actually grew up in Westchester. Okay. Which, if you're, in, if you're from the city, you'd say upstate. Yeah. But it's actually <laughs> about a half hour north, of, north of New York City. Is that by like Rye and yeah. all those places? Yeah, actually okay. Rye's in there. I grew up kind of on the, uh, up in the beginning of the Hudson River Valley. Right. Uh, which was pretty, pretty awesome to have a fairly safe town to grow up in, but then be able to take the train into the city all the time and go to the museums and go to the, you know, go to CBGB's to see... Cool bands and stuff like that. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a little bit because I was up. Uh, my friend lives in Poughkeepsie mm-hmm. now, and uh, which a is friend of mine went to college there, and he knows a lot of musicians. And there's such a great music scene up there, up in Woodstock, yeah. and everything else. He's the guy who got me into the Ramble. Okay, cool. But there was just this great kind of vibe. It's like you're an hour outside of the city, or an hour and a half yeah. on the train. Uh, but th- it's cool, like an artist community and music and everything yeah. else. And it seemed to seem like a Awesome place to live. Did you yeah. find that? Did you ever live up there for as a musician? Or did um, you... I never went farther. I, you know, I would visit, but I never went farther north to live. Right. I, uh, the, the town I grew up in was very like uh, it was a real commuter town. Most of my friends' parents took the train into Manhattan right. to work, and we all, you know, you know, played soccer and <laughs> did Boston covers with our high school rock bands. <laughs> and you disappointed them and, and did, became a musician. Did musical theater and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, and. Uh, yeah, and then basically, my when I told my parents at the end of college, I was like, "Hey, I uh, I was I was in college to be I was an English major, and I wanted to be an English professor." Mm. And about two months before the end of college, I'd applied to a bunch of grad schools, and I'd heard back from a few, but not all. And I said, "You know, if I don't try music, uh, I'll know it would. I know it was primarily just out of fear, and uh, so I have to I have to give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, I'll go to grad school next year, or the year after." And 
20 years later, I've just been making music. <laughs> but when I, when, I, when I said to my parents, hey, I want to I leave college and just be a musician, they, my, both my parents said, but we meant just as an extracurricular. I mean, it's great that you play in the band. It's a cute that, hobby you it have. It doesn't matter. It's a cute hobby. You're not supposed to love it. Right, right, right. You know, you're going to be broke and living in our couch. I was like, no, trust me. I think it'll work. <laughs> I, I got to give this a shot. Did it ever get to that point? Were you, were you uh, back no. home? No, I was very, uh, I was very, I'm really hardworking. And I was really certain. I was like, I will never ask my parents for money. I will never go back and sleep in the couch. I will, I will make it work no matter what happens. I said the exact same thing when I went to do comedy. Like yeah, at, first, at first, you know, for the first few years, I still had my day job. And uh, yeah. by the time I left it, though, and decided to do it full time, I was already out of the house. Yeah. And, you know, I was making some money, but I, I never asked them for a dime. And I was very proud of that fact that I never did that. But yeah, I was too. And that's, that's kind of, I spent more of my dad. That's really what won him over. Mm-hmm. And then I was also playing a lot. It was before I kind of was really serious about songwriting. Mm-hmm. And so I was playing bass in a lot of people's bands. And so I would send, and this is when CDs, we had just switched from cassettes and records to CDs. <laughs> oh, it was so a magical send, time called send, the 80s and 90s. <laughs> so I would send my parents all the CDs that I played on. That's exciting. And then finally when I made my first one, it was maybe the eighth or ninth CD I sent them. And they were like, okay, this, this seems like it's becoming official. <laughs> so what made you come here as opposed to, say, Nashville or something like that? Uh, well, I had lived in Seattle for maybe five, six, seven years, and loved Seattle. Were you there during the big grunge uh, boom and all I that? I moved there as all those bands were already huge. Okay. So, so Seattle was already synonymous with grunge. Um, and my tastes were not really grunge. I actually, I, <laughs> yeah. I love and get grunge much more now than I did when I lived there. <laughs> um, uh, but I had kind of gigged with, with everyone who's not kind of a household name musician from Seattle. I had felt I gigged with almost every single person in town uh, and was tired of making 75 and $100 a night. I was tired of – I played jazz. This is when the, 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 the jazz and jump blues revival happened. Oh, yeah, sure. Voodoo Daddy and all that stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm tired of playing Take the A-Train at weddings. I'm tired of playing <laughs> – yeah. cool. Swingers just became big, you know, the yeah, movie. Yeah, totally, right. totally. So, uh, so I said, okay, well, where do you go? You got New York, you got LA, and you got Nashville. And I love country music, and my music has a real tinge of that to it. But I was like, I'm not, I'm not so specifically country that Nashville's my place. Mm-hmm. So I came to LA. I had already been here a handful of times with different touring acts from Seattle. Uh, so I had a bunch of friends here and places I knew I could gig. And so I, I, I chose LA. It's just very eclectic and cosmopolitan. Growing up in New York, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't go to a small city and be satisfied by it. Right. Seattle still felt like a really charming fishing village in some ways. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? I know. Like, I love Seattle, but it's like there are, you know, we were talking about Los Feliz, which is a cool little section yeah. of L.A. where I lived when I first moved to L.A. And, you know, it's like within this eight or ten block area, there's the post office and the bank and a cool little sushi place and a movie theater and the place you can get your car repaired. So you really, it's one of those few places in L.A. where you don't need a car. Yeah. Um, and Seattle... Was like kind a of giant like, Los Feliz. It was a downtown and <laughs> six or seven little Los Feliz's within a 10 or 15 mile radius, which is one of the reasons I love to go back to Seattle. Yeah. Because uh, it doesn't feel like a big city. Uh, but I was used to the big cityness, I think, of New York. And even though L.A. is totally different, I relate to the, you know, all the different ethnicities and the great food and da, 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 all that <laughs> stuff. So who were some of the big bands that you worked with and toured with? Um, 
Uh, one of the biggest, actually most consistent, was Shooter Jennings. Oh, was that Waylon um, Jennings' son? Waylon Jennings' son. And sure. also Waylon and Jesse Coulter's son. Okay. Um, and so I played with Shooter for probably six, seven years. And uh, we had a, a great uh, Universal South was the, the Nashville arm of Universal. So we did three records together, did a bunch of big videos on CMT and toured the U.S. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of my tunes were on some of the Shooter records and I was in the videos and all that stuff. So that was a great run. Um, I just got off the road for a little while with a great guy named Whitey Morgan, uh, who's out of, uh, who's out of Flint, Michigan. He's on Bloodshot Records. He's a real classic country and really believes in the old school honky tonk thing. (laughs) Uh, when I first moved to LA, one of my biggest gigs, my first big gig was with Wilson Phillips. Wow. Actually. So that was my first. (laughs) I can't uh, think of anybody less your style. Yeah, I know. Than Wilson Phillips. Uh, no, they were wonderful. It was not the hold on hit era. Oh. They had actually just done a record of all of their parents' music and like Jackson Brown tunes and Joni Mitchell tune. It was like this okay. this cool experiment they did where they did all these tunes in the 70s. And I was like, wow, I love and know all these tunes anyway. It was very organic and mm-hmm. they were great people to work with. Uh, but that was my first gig where it's like, okay, we're all flying across the country together. We've got a five-star hotel. We're going to play Good Morning America. <laughs> you know, we're going to do the Leno show. We did a, It was a wonderful Wonderful gig. Right, right. Um, did you get to meet any of uh, their parents? Did you get to meet um, Brian I met, Wilson? I met Brian Wilson a few times. Wow. Brian Wilson actually gave me one of the weirdest compliments I've ever gotten. He saw us play one time, right? Uh, and he walked up to me after the show, and he's kind of this very, you know, he's known for relating to music better than the rest of reality, just to yeah. say that. And uh, so he walked up to me, and he was very serious and kind of stoic. And he said, I, I, really, I really liked your bass playing. You know, it had a, a really great full, round tone to it. <laughs> and uh, I had a really bad stomachache when I walked in. And I think you cured me. <laughs> I said, oh, right. I, Thank I, you, I, Mr. I'll, Wilson. I'll take that as a big, some kind of like <laughs> Zen metaphysical compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> so... I mean, that's a pretty wide range of musicians that you worked with. Give me a good story of uh, being overseas or anywhere on the road. Craziest thing maybe that happened to you. Uh, I know some of these guys are, some are into drinking. Some are into other things. Some are clean and sober. Any uh, maybe uh, chemically induced things happen on the Uh, road? Yeah, yeah, I'd say... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> At least a handful. Yeah, I'm sure. Over the years, uh, there was there was one great time. I was with a touring a touring band of mine called Ponticello out of Seattle, and we were in, I think we we're in Butte, Montana. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Butte. I have not been, but to Butte. it was a uh, it was a big mining town. Yeah. Geologically, in the mountains, there's like a lot of really special minerals. I have, years later, I had a friend who became a professor of geology in Butte, and it was one of like the coolest positions in the country as he was describing it to me. So it was very specific and wonderful. But anyway, we're in Butte, and you really feel the Wild Westness of it. The streets are really wide, um, and the whole town is kind of on this hill. And so there are all these old hotels, like a restaurant I went to was this little Chinese place, but it was an old brothel. And so all the booths had been converted into booths with like little semi-privacy uh, oh, walls sure. from these little tiny mini rooms. <laughs> That, and it was, like, it was like the bathroom stall where the, the stall doesn't go all the way up to the ceiling, so you can hear everything that's happening. Oh. But back in the day, I guess, you know, the miners 
in the 1880s, didn't really care. No. <laughs> uh, privacy was not that important to them as it might have been to us. Years Maybe later. they wanted a high five halfway through. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but I went to this gig and I went kind of down the street. I was playing a gig and before the gig, I went down to kind of the cooler bar in town to kind of meet the promoter and hang out and introduce myself, hoping that I could play there next time, <laughs> you know. And uh, so he gave me this really great hash, like these hash kind of baked into cookies and so I did one just to kind of be cool. I showed up back at my gig, and thankfully, I had, you know, it was it was it was my band and another guy's. We kind of co-led the band, and this stuff just just took me for a loop. I could not control myself. So I'm literally standing up on stage, counting measures and thinking through. Okay, C G T G C C sharp D A. D, A, and I, I literally had to think my way through the entire gig, note by note. Okay, I'm going to have to sing soon. Let's take a deep breath. And the first lyric is da-da-da-da. At least that's the lyric for one of the verses. I don't really remember, but I'm going to come in singing. And it was the, it totally messed with my sense of time. Oh, yeah. And uh, like whether it's a three-second musical section or a 30-second musical section. It all felt the same to me. <laughs> so I was just all over the map, and after about two songs, both of the guys in the band looked at me like, what did you do? And I was like, I'm sorry, guys. I just, I just, can I lean up against this amp while I do the rest of the show? Right. Isn't that amazing when you hear stories of these guys who were just going on stage loaded, yeah. and you never knew? Yeah. And you're just going, how did they, how did they do it? Like, as, yeah, a totally. com- as a comic, you know, I... I went on stage after having too many drinks like once when I was just starting out. Yeah. But for us, it's so – the words are just so important. You know, right. If you miss one word, it blows the whole you joke. You killed the joke or the setup yeah. for the next joke. Exactly. Yeah. And so I knew not to make that mistake again. Yeah. But with, I guess it's a little easier to hide it with music. Well, with music, you can kind of feel it. Yeah. I find that if I'm not singing on the gig and I don't have to remember words and, <laughs> and lead the band, you can just kind of get into the vibe and flow and uh-huh. follow people. You know? And I still don't know how bad that show actually sounded to people who were not in the band. Sure, you know, I'm sure the other guys corrected a little bit for me, but I was still playing in time. And also, if it's a you song that I mean? you've played a hundred times, yeah. you send it, you know, if, it's a, if it's an old bit that I know I can exactly. do in my sleep, I've seen guys out there doing the same bits for 20 years and they yeah. can do it wasted. Yeah, but uh, totally. it's like just muscle memory after a while. But I mean, if you're yeah, doing but it's something- one of the one of the hard things about I'm sure comedy is the same. Making music, like there are some points where you're in the creative process, you're writing, you're actually songwriting, or you're figuring out what your next record is going to be, and you're in the studio, or you're rearranging a tune. Um, although you know, it's kind of you know, like there was one tune on one of my early, one of my my last record where it was it started out as this kind of honky tonk tune. And then I realized, you know, there's, the world has had enough classic honky-tonk music. I've got I to do something special with this. So I kind of added this funky Little Feet thing and kind of took this country tune and made it into this kind of bouncy soul thing. And I thought it gave it a whole new le- set of legs. You know what I mean? It really made it special mm-hmm. rather than, okay, great, another, another tune about the bar, whatever. I get it. Um, and so there's moments when you're very creative, and then there are other moments when you're like, okay, our job is to be on stage and recreate the record, or 70% recreate the record and then 30% improvise to keep it fun and special and kind of we arrange on our feet, and I really love the improvisational thing. But there's a lot of just doing the same and uh, 
not drinking too much before the gig. <laughs> or this is a lesson, you know, with this, my Butte Montana story. I mean, this was when I was 25. Exactly. And I don't really do that. I don't like doing that. There's no worse feeling than missing a beat or missing a line and being like, wow, if I was 10% more sober, this would be slamming. <laughs> I'm the only thing yeah. holding this show back from being great. And like, that doesn't need to happen to you too many times before you start to be like, okay, well, learn my limitations, do this, got to prepare the right way. I always envied musicians that they could just play almost anywhere in the world. And people still dug it. Even if they didn't know the lyrics, per right. se, they still dug right. the music. And you can do gigs. Yeah. And, and there is, there's something very special about... Well, America, a lot of people around the world have a love-hate relationship with America. Of course. You can hate what's going on politically or economically. But it's hard to deny Elvis. Yeah. Or the power of Bob Dylan. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Or the power of Richard yeah. Pryor. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, and these are, these are these very American forces... That just spread and are really accepted. Uh, and like when I go, to, I go to Europe a couple times a year. I try to do two tours in Europe. And each time, I, sometimes I go back to the same, the same actual room, sometimes the same countries. Usually I'll try to do one or two countries I've been through before. And I know I'll, you know, those are, I'll, I know I'll make my money and pay mm -hmm. for the trip and all that stuff and have my mortgage paid. Uh, but then I'll try a couple other countries I, that are new or in a different way. And uh, the farther north you go, the better they understand English. Oh yeah, I and mean, so like Sweden and all those James places. James Brown and and uh, no, sorry, uh, James Taylor and Jackson Brown. Yeah, very different. <laughs> very different. Are, mu are, are much more popular in Sweden and Holland and Denmark, uh, and of course the UK because yeah. they speak the language better. And a lot of my music, like where the lyrics matter. Yeah, when it's uh, more you can lyric play driven. singer songwriter rooms, and they stop and they listen. They really get it. And you know some you know some old Finnish guys like I remember in 1978 I saw Dabla and it was a wonderful show. And you remind me of him in his youth. And it's like okay, how great is that? Most Americans don't even know who some of these people are yeah. that you're talking about. Um, and then when you go farther south in Europe, uh, Spain and Italy, France, they don't understand English as well. Uh, and so. I'll, like, I'll be doing a song and be like, okay, that's a word they just did not get. They don't know what that means. So you have to be like, Highway 101, <laughs> Los Angeles. You have to say Durango. Yeah, Hollywood. Cool, like American things that they latch onto. They go, yeah. Yeah, and Texas. Like, okay, they didn't get that. I got to do a cool soul riff. Okay, do a cool funk riff now. Do -do 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 -do. And then it kind of it, it perks their interest again. But yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, I'd imagine, like I have that, issue a few moments at a time when I'm dealing with like the stage banter and announcing oh, yeah. songs. You say stuff like, wow, okay, these, these people in the small town in Germany just did not know what I just said at all. <laughs> okay, the next song is da-da-da-da. Uh, but as a comedian, yeah. who's going to get it? Exactly. I'm, I'm fascinated um, by like, I love uh, Eddie Izzard. Oh, yeah. And Craig Ferguson is great. And, and I mean, they're, they're speaking English. <laughs> but but uh, the, the sense of humor in different parts of, of, of England, Scotland, and Ireland are just very different. Oh, yeah. And I love when they come here and we get uh, a different take on what's funny or what they think Americans think is funny. Right. You know what I mean? Well, there's also, I find the biggest difference is people always ask me, you do a different show in the South than you do up North yeah. or anything like that. And I always find the biggest differences are not regional, but big city, smaller town. Yeah. I Rural as opposed to urban. I totally. mean, they're just exposed to more in, in bigger cities. Um, they tend to speak a little faster in bigger cities. They just, yeah, that's where I see the bigger differences. And unfortunately, economically, you yeah. know, difference between people that have maybe been around the world a little bit or went to college 
as opposed to people who maybe haven't. That's yeah. those are the big differences I see. But in terms of region, because everybody kind of watches the same TV shows and the same movies, and certainly pop culture references the, tend the to be the same. The playing field has been leveled. Yeah, in that and way, the internet helps a lot too. Yeah. You have these kids who dress like, you know, uh, Compton rappers, and they're in the middle of Idaho. You know, yeah. so it's just, they're seeing the same media. It's just right. what they're exposed to in their daily lives and what they hear at home. And how much they understand it yeah. is a different one. Like, obviously, if you're from a bigger city and you hear about something like Compton, mm-hmm. you kind of understand what fear is like and what race relations are like because you've met people of other races and maybe had friends or whatever. Yeah. And it's interesting when you go to... Uh, Smaller towns are like in the, the the heartland, and they just like they under are like they they can quote you little pieces of Jersey Shore, <laughs> yeah. but it's just like this foreign weird alternate reality. Whereas if if you've known anyone like that or whatever, you know, then then it's then it's closer to real, right? Uh, Would you yeah. find do you find in like in your kind of music, like say alt country or rock or whatever you want to call it, Europe is a much more viable place for you than a Say Asia. Have you ever played in Asia? Um, or have you maybe ever worked I've, in Asia? I've, I've been to Japan twice to play. What's and their country alt rock uh, scene there? You know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I do know that there are there are fans for it. Like right. I do know, like Ry Cooter and Ryan Adams yeah. and some of the bigger names in uh, different kinds of roots music. I know, like and heavy metal, it seems to be an the easier sell there. They can go there. Well, I think they're and dance they, and pop music. They appreciate know. the energy and yeah. the vibe. And the Americanness, you know, like you, I'm sure you've seen pictures of like Japanese people on the street dressed like Elvis. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's like they, whether or not they really understand what was great and unique about Elvis and how he, you know, was combining black music with white music and gospel with rock and roll and taking what Little Richard was doing and all this stuff. You still dig the, you know, the hair. Yeah. <laughs> and the white jumpsuit. Right. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> right, and and right, the sunglasses. Right. And you're, ah, yeah, it's okay. It's American. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and around the world, there's definitely an appreciation for it. Uh, the, the two gigs I did in Japan were both really traditional country music. Um, uh, in fact, that was, like, that was kind of the year I was really getting into old school country music and learning about it. Um, so this is like a festival where the uh, yeah these were are, like one of one of them was actually play, it was kind of a USO type of tour. Okay. We went to Okinawa. Oh wow! Uh, and we played for like five or six different army bases and navy mm-hmm. bases on the island of Okinawa, um, and it was it was kind of funny because uh, I don't know for people who don't know Okinawa was its own country before World War II, and uh, at the end of World War II the United States basically said okay we're going to give you this island Japan, but only if we're allowed to have as many military bases on yeah. it as we can so that we can monitor what's going on in the Pacific. It was just like geographically this perfect thing, and so. The Okinawans resent being called Japanese. Mm-hmm. The Okinawans resent the Americans that are there. And, of course, a lot of the Americans are military. So, uh, and a lot of the American military people are kind of intimidated by some, a culture so different, and they just kind of never leave the base. Um, or there's this kind of outside of every base, right across the street from every base, there's this kind of mini-mall area. Right. With a, a, burger with a coffee shop and a Burger King <laughs> and a... You know, a, and a you know, the big five sporting goods or something, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so me and a couple of the musicians were some of the only people who ever leave the base to explore. And a couple of them, a couple of the people, like, we'd find this, uh, this great, the largest town in Okinawa. Uh, and we're just kind of walk. we took the bus across the island, and it was unbelievable. And people are like, you're not, you're not the military. 
And it's like, no, no, I'm a musician. I'm playing. It's like, oh, like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And I was like, just like Bruce Springsteen. Exactly. And then, and then because there wasn't the standard cultural association with Americans who don't understand them and they don't like each other, whatever it is, uh, we were immediately welcomed into their world. And actually this wonderful guitarist who's kind of a sweet older guy who actually his main gig, he's been playing guitar with Leonard Cohen for many years. Oh, wow. Uh, he was living in L.A. at the time. And so me and him and a drummer, the drummer in the band, we went off and were exploring. And he said, you know what's great about being a musician is you're not a tourist, you're a traveler. And you're more interested in getting into the culture of the people where you're going and finding out the special things um, rather than just take a picture of me with the Eiffel Tower in the background. Yeah. Or, hey, let's go to the Louvre. <laughs> hey, let's go to Big Ben. You know, like That's an interesting theory. Do musicians you... tend to be travelers and kind of we, – we get into David Lynch movies and Fellini movies and like the weird <laughs> in life. I've, I've always had a, had a, a theory of uh, for me to do a gig – it either has to pay well, be with great people who I love as friends, uh, I will learn a lot, or it has to have the David Lynch factor, which is it's just going to be weird and funky, and I'm going to see some side of life I never see, and it'll be strangely satisfying in this, in this yeah. other, more perverse way. Well, what was one of those gigs you took for the weirdness of it? For the weirdness? Um, definitely the first times. the first times I started touring through, uh, leaving New York, or my little area in New York where I was from, and exploring smaller towns, there was a, I was pretty shocked by, by what small towns felt like, rather than uh, being in or around a big city. Did your family not travel much as a kid? Um, my family traveled, my dad was a real world traveler when he was younger, so by the time I was growing up, he was like, I don't want to leave, I don't even want to go to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. um, uh, but he was, I mean, he was actually from, uh, he grew up in the Netherlands. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and he, when he was like eight or nine or 10, his family moved from Holland to America after World War II. So he, so he, we, our family automatically had kind of a different, uh, I guess, being a little closer to Europe. His sister uh, or my aunt ended up living in New York for a while and then. Moved back to Paris, so I've had an aunt living in Paris on the on the left bank in Paris my Lovely. entire life. So every time I go to Europe, I try to take two days off and <laughs> fly or drive to Paris, which is, I mean, how many people have that? It's awesome. Did your dad still speak um, Dutch? Uh, he spoke Dutch, but he was very, uh, really wanted to be American. Yeah, really kind of believed in the American dream. He was a really hard worker. Had his own company mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of for a lot of years through the eighties and nineties. And so he, you know, I mean, we would have cheese, and he would wear a bright orange soccer jersey every once in a while. Of course, that's the Dutch national absolutely. Colors. Uh, but and he would tell stories very occasionally, but he really just wanted to be American and have no accent. Uh, so there was not a lot of Dutch culture. One, actually, one of the really fascinating things is the last four or five years when I've been going to Holland every year or two. Um, I'm meeting cousins and second cousins oh, fun. and finding out all these little characteristics that I thought I had just inherited from my dad. They're actually very Dutch. <laughs> and so it's really kind of weird to kind of, okay, I'm hired to be here because I'm an American who does my, quote, American songwriting and performing thing. And I feel strangely Dutch and I want to <laughs> fit in and learn the language, but I have to be different. And anyway, it's a cool, uh, I really relate to both cultures. So back way. to the weirdness. You got out, so you went to small-town America. Went going to small-town America. You discovered the South for the first time. Uh, you go into the South, it was definitely a trip for the <laughs> it first It is, time. isn't it? I got into country music through uh, 
you know, the Rolling Stones and Wild Horses and then Graham Parsons. Yeah. I got into country music through uh, these rock records and, you know, like Emmylou Harris left classic country music and became this kind of arty singer-songwriter, uh, Lucinda Williams. And so it was a, I remember it was a really big deal when I was getting into classic country. It was probably 10, maybe 12, 13 years ago. I did a gig and the band leader... Uh, after the, th- it was a four-set honky tonk gig. So we're doing all Merle Haggard tunes and George <laughs> Jones and Waylon Jennings, classic, classic stuff. And he's like, "Come out to the van. I got to show you something." And he had gotten a new shotgun, and he showed everybody <laughs> in the band the new shotgun. And I was just floored because I didn't grow up with guns. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I remember calling my best friend from college the next morning and being like, "That moment when after the third set, another guy in the band invites you out to his van and you get baked." Well, instead of getting baked, he showed me his new shotgun. I'm really playing country music with country people now. It's official. <laughs> I've made it. Yeah, totally. It's authentic, man. It's not a, not a bunch of hipsters in L.A. pretending. It's like, this is the real deal. <laughs> well, I would think about Europe. I mean, so much of... Uh, they, I always found their attitudes on music, especially like rock music, kind of interesting that we have this kind of... I don't want to say slavish devotion to it, but we still love the uh, the three chord kind of blues based guitar based kind yeah. of thing. And to them, it's all kind of like pop music. It's all one one big like ABBA has as much validity as say Led Zeppelin, and right. sometimes maybe more. Right. Whereas like a lot of especially white males in this country would think, oh ABBA, that's just pop music. That's and pop. So, this yeah. is real music. That's this is fair. rock. This is you know. Yeah, but to totally. them, it's all kind of even. I thought. And dance yeah. music has their own kind of thing. It has its own place. Yeah. One of, one of the reasons I, I, I think that that is more as a cultural thing throughout Europe is the countries are smaller. Yeah. And they've had to love and respect what their own country does and is special and is unique. But they have to accept, okay, you know, if you want good flamenco music, got to bring in someone from Spain. <laughs> yeah. If you want real rockabilly or real, uh, you know, real modern club music or whatever. Maybe, maybe not so much now because clubs are everywhere. Yeah. But, but they have an acceptance of, okay, let's bring in the good wine from Italy and the good cheese from Holland. And if you want great beer, go to Belgium. Right. Like the, they accept that. And, and whereas in America, we, we, uh, we get caught up with pop culture and what's big and people assume, well, if I haven't heard of you, you must be horrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you must be mediocre or you must, in my case, be background music. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Or how come you don't have a TV show yet? You're, you're, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you, know, you're, you know, people assume uh, Americans are more willing to draw distinctions between famous and not famous. Uh, whereas in Europe, uh, I find that, that if, you, if you do what you do and you do it well, they'll, they'll have a more objective way to respect it. Or understand it. You know what I mean? Like they get the different genres and the different changes because also they didn't, they didn't grow up in the middle of it. They, they appreciated it from afar. And like you go to someplace like Sweden and all the black metal that's there. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's theirs. That, and they're very proud of that. Yeah. Um, you know, but every time, I, every time I play in Gothenburg, Sweden, the opening act is going to be some cool band that sounds like an American act. <laughs> and, and often the, the main difference is the, when they sing. The language they don't quite get, or they don't quite get. Uh, actually, funny, I brought up Gothenburg. I have some great friends in this great band called Little Green in Gothenburg, and they're they're now the last few times I've played there. They become my opening act 
and then they learn my tunes and they become my band. So when I tour Sweden, I've got a band. Oh, awesome. Um, but when I, when, when I work with them, I send them my songs in advance and send them charts. We kind of book the stuff together and uh, I show up and we rehearse. And then, I, and then we're doing kind of a soul tune maybe. And I have to stop and be like, all right, well, now, the guitarist, you're kind of rushing a little bit. You need to let the hi-hat hit before you hit. And that's kind of a soul music thing. They're supposed to sound like one instrument. You can't rush it. You have to listen. Thankfully, the drummer is wonderful. <laughs> um, but another thing I told the drummer, I was like, you need to give me 20 or 30% more volume out of that kick drum every time you hit it. He's a, he's a very jazzy player. So okay. Very fluid and very musical. But I was like, there's a sexuality that happens with the roots of rock and roll and soul and even classic jazz, which is this thump. And, when, and he kind of didn't really get that. Like, he was playing the part right, but I was like, it doesn't swing. It needs to have more girth, more bottom, more richness, yeah. you know? Uh, and so it's been really cool to go and, and see kind of what, what different cultures do well and what part of Americanness they, they instinctively understand, but what parts they don't really get. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, what do they think of American musicians? Do they give them a little more leeway to think, well, he's from America, maybe he knows a little more on this yeah, than sometimes, we do? Yeah, sometimes, and there's a quirkiness. You know, you're allowed, if, if you do it with enough panache, you're allowed to do it wrong. <laughs> and it becomes your thing. Yeah, Rather, right, right, You right. know what I mean? People appreciate that, like... Uh, and in some cases, you, you, we know the rules so that we can break them. But in some cases, it's just truly instinctive. Uh, and we kind of grew up with it, so we don't even think about it anymore. Are the clubs and the venues overseas run differently than the ones here? Like, do they do a door deal differently, or do they expect their artists to do more or less? Like, um, I can give you an example. Like, when yeah, in, tell me, in me Europe, example. say, in comedy, the, uh, they will have an intermission. Like here, the shows will just go on through, and they serve drinks. For the, but there, they don't serve drinks while the show's going on. They'll have an intermission to allow people to get up and go smoke and drink. It's like and a then, theater and it's do like a, a performance. Show. Yes, okay. yes. Which at first seemed very strange to me, but then um, I kind of liked it, yeah. rather than having being distracted by waitresses and or people ordering drinks while you're talking yeah. and that kind of thing. Totally. They, they, they. I'd imagine they would put comedy. The way they put music kind of up on this pedestal. Yeah, they hold it like as they a, it's sit an art form. And enjoy and they, they want to see what you do. It is an art form. Yeah. They have, they have respect for that. Like, and I think that's also like there's, a, there's hundreds of years of a deep tradition of classical music through a lot of the parts of Europe where I've been. And they kind of take rock and roll and reggae and salsa and dance music. They, they kind of, that has factored into their appreciation of this other music. Right. Um, uh, and yeah, it's 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 pretty weird to have to. Oh, I got to stop my set halfway through. <laughs> no, but then people leave. They get a drink. They come back refreshed, and then they're back and they're completely attentive. Yeah, and they're ready for more. And they do the same thing um, with music there. In some cases, yeah. I mean, some of the some of the gigs I do really are like the McCabe's or the Troubadour. It's the cool gig in town. It's a big deal. The American guy and I like I've 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 either gotten a lot of airplay on. The, the regional or national radio station so people kind of know who I am and it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there are definitely a lot of the gigs I do over there where it, it's like p playing the funky gig in town. <laughs> it just happens to be thousands of miles from home. Uh, you know, there's always, there are always a couple of those great gigs every week and a couple of the funky in-between ones. Well, okay, if, if you're going to give me 250 euros in a hotel room on a Wednesday 
wonderful. I don't care what the gig is. I'd rather not have a day. You know what I mean? I'd rather right, not right, have a day right. off. Even the funky gigs, there's the promoter and his three friends and the three people that heard you on the internet radio station or something. <laughs> or a friend of theirs from the next large city over recommended they come and see you. So there's still a half dozen or a dozen people who are really there and excited and, and, and want it to be art. Right, I mean? right, right. And they enable you to do more with it. Would you say that the, the money is equivalent over there as opposed to here in terms of per gig, or is it more or um, less? It, for me, it's, it's somewhat similar. Sometimes I get paid better over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places, I mean, well, it's that Euro the, exchange, you know. The Euro exchange. Well, that, that's also different every tour. <laughs> right. It's funny. Every once in a while, I'll go over with like the the exchange rate from the last time I was there. Oh yeah, Euro is like a dollar thirty. I'm psyched. This I'm going to make some money. <laughs> and you come back and it's like, oh, the Euro is only a dollar fifteen now. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, still still worth going over there, and not that big a deal. Um, Do you have to go through all the work visa crap? But and there's an appreciation um, in some countries. In in uh, in the UK, they're particularly uh, uptight about foreigners coming in and taking gigs from locals. Canada, they're they're yeah. they're very specific about that. Um, in the last, let's see, I'd been to Europe a few times, like ten, twelve years ago, and they they cared about it more. It seems like since we've had the European Union, a lot of the countries don't even care. Like I, I still love having my passport stamped from as many grievy places as possible. <laughs> yeah. but it's kind of funny. I can go through five different countries and. You get it stamped once when you when you enter Europe, and then. But but I'm in Finland now. Give me a stamp. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. no, nope. it's just like a commuter flight going from right, right, right. You know, going from Amsterdam to Helsinki is not that different from going to Washington D.C. to Boston on right. a flight. You know, are there differences between say Finnish fans and Swedish fans? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Even I hear the Finnish are very more a little more serious. And they are serious. They're quiet and they're stoic, and they don't smile. Uh, they don't smile a lot until they get hammered. <laughs> And then yeah. they're really talkative and really kind of fun, uh, ebullient mm-hmm. people. Uh, but yeah, the first time I played in Finland was a really good uh, singer-songwriter room. Probably, 50, no, probably 75 people there. It was my first time in Helsinki. And I play, and there are no applause. No, like, no applause. I'm like, I must be bombing. What is going on? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I guess I just got to keep playing and try to get into it. And... and one of the things with uh, with any presentation, when you can use silence, it's pretty wonderful. Like there's, it, it makes the rock seem a lot more powerful if you've just come from a quiet, sensitive place, or you stop playing. You, you I'll either stop playing the acoustic guitar, or I'll cue out the band and just be a cappella for thirty seconds. And then when you come back in big, it's like this really dynamic, magical thing. You know, that was something uh, an so, old older comedian told me once that. Uh, don't be afraid of the silence. Yeah. Because when you're starting out, you just, you just want to keep going, and you're afraid of any kind of pause or, yeah. you know, like, oh, my God, I got I to gotta keep the energy going and keep it, go, keep it up, keep it up. And he goes, yeah, no, totally. let, it, let it breathe a little bit. Let so, the joke sink in. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you change the subject or, uh, yeah, yeah. That's They'll a, follow with you. And you that ha- with good music, that happens just as well. Mm-hmm. And good songwriting. You know, like, how long, like, okay, I just gave them a poignant phrase. They got to be instrumental for a second so they can absorb what I just said, now I can build on it. You know what I right. mean? Uh, or how often do I repeat the same thing before I move on to the thing that's new information? Um, Is there a certain group of songs that you kind of keep in your backpack when you're bombing and you're going, okay, I got to 
Let me pull this out and get them back into it. I have some. I have some that are like that. Some, it's got some, something they all some know. Some are just rocking. Some are just here's the funky one. Right. Here's the here's this one. Uh, and when I when I go to Europe, or the actually small towns in America, yeah, it's the gimmick ones. I have this one song which I still love. It's a good song called Swamp Water Whiskey, and it's about moonshine. And it's okay. about it was like uh, I had just kind of started really writing country music. I was going to Nashville to write a lot. Um, and I wrote this great tune. It's kind of like you ever get into Jerry Reed? Oh yeah, yeah. He was the, he, Amos Moses. Yes, Amos sure. Moses and Eastbound and Down, the Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. Anyway, but he had a really great fast talking story song. Walking down the bound, he had this fun, like cocaine filled energy about his music <laughs> yeah. through the seventies exactly. and the eighties. He's like, hey, let me tell you a story. I'm a devil die. It was very kind of. It was kind of goofy, but it was brilliant. And he's this unbelievable guitarist and musician. So it's like it really worked. When you're hot, you're hot. When, when you're not, you're yeah, not. Totally, I remember totally, that. Totally, totally. I remember that. Sure. I, well, he's got a great one. I got the gold. No, she got the gold mine. I, and got, I got the shaft. shaft. Yeah, anyway, I remember. Yeah. So I have a handful of songs that are somewhat like that, and the Swamp Water Whiskey one is kind of like that. But when I'm playing it in L.A. or New York or Chicago, I'm like, I'd rather go for something a little yeah, more. Yeah, it's like, don't bring your road hack stuff here. But when I'm, when I'm somewhere <laughs> where it's like, okay, I just need a cool southern rock riff and a song about moonshine, then, then, <laughs> then all the people you know, in central Spain go, ooh, moonshine. Oh, moonshine yeah. I've heard about moonshine. <laughs> the Almond Brothers had moonshine. You know, all that kind of thing. It's like their wine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Out in the country, they make it themselves. Right. Anyway, whatever. So, yeah, there are, there are some gimmick things. Or it's like, I was watching The Daily Show the other night, and every once in a while, Jon Stewart will say, it's, 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 it's half news, but there's still fart and dick jokes. It's still, <laughs> yeah. it's still, it's still silly entertainment, and that's part of what we do. Right. And it's like, we, we, we do the kind of musical equivalent, to mm-hmm. an extent. You know, every, 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 every person has to kind of make their own decision on how how out there they're going to get or how personal they want to keep it, you know? And that's one of the great things about kind of making, making your own records and doing your own thing is you can make those choices for yourself. After all this time You were still on my mind You were looking forward I see 